Irish Examiner Farming Podcast with FBD Insurance. Farm insurance tailored to you. Visit fbd.ie today. Hello and welcome to the second Irish Examiner Farming Podcast. It's Noel Baker in the chair. Summer 2018 has been pretty good so far and when the sun is shining, maybe we all think we're going to live forever. Why would farmers be any different? Yet when it comes to farm transfer, it seems many are reluctant to pass land on to the next generation. Later, we'll hear from solicitor Karen Walsh about the do's and don'ts of land transfer and from Austin Finn about the land mobility model. But first, I spoke with former MOCRA president Alan Jago, who's been through the process, and I began by asking him to explain the background to his farming enterprise down by the sea in County Cork. So we're dairy and cereal farming here. Uh, also have a bit of maize and beet. Uh, I, I finished I college in 2004, came back here to the farm, and we started off in farm partnership with myself and dad. Um, so at the time we were we had 70 cows, we used to have a calf to beef system, we had a bull beef system, we had a lot of tillage at the time. Um, but since then we decided, look, at the time, you know, dairy was the main industry, uh, it was the main income coming, but to support two families as such, mm-hmm. it wasn't uh, enough. So we decided to increase the dairy numbers, reduce sound of beef enterprise. So today now uh, we're in a family farm partnership with myself, dad, and also my brother, George. We're making 250 cows and we also have a tillage enterprise, but that is gradually reducing and coming more into grassland for the dairy sector here. Okay, so that's interesting. So in that you ha- you obviously had a discussion quite a long time ago that yeah. you were serious about doing it, but then your brother also came in on it because it simply just got too big, was that it? Yeah, um, well, I suppose uh, when I, I always wanted to be a farmer and in fairness, Dad never forced me or pushed me into becoming a farmer. It was always something that if I wanted to do, I could do it myself. Um, I remember when I was 13 or 14, we were cleaning off a silage pit and it was about nine o'clock on a, on a Friday night. And Dad said to me, if you can't be finished by seven o'clock, don't be a farmer. Now, there aren't too many that's finished at seven o'clock now today. Um, but I always wanted to be a farmer. Um, but when I came back uh, after I college, we had to make a decision then that, you know, yeah, I was staying on the farm full time and we had to make the farm work financially for, for both sets of us. So the decision was taken then, you know, in consultation with our Chagas advisor, our accountant, and so on and so forth. To look, the main income was coming from dairy, mm-hmm. and we either had to increase in dairy, or else I had to kind of work off farm and that, and the farm was big enough to increase in dairy, um, and, and that's what we ultimately did. What's the acreage? So roughly 400 acres. We own roughly half of it and renting the other half. Uh, so there's 200 acres here at home, mm. uh, all dairy, and the rest is in out farms, and that's in, in beef, and oh, sorry, in, in, in our heifers at the moment, and also in, in cereals. Okay, so like you obviously had a, quite an open discussion about this some time ago, I guess. So you probably maybe weren't going through the rigmarole of teasing it out, maybe a reluctant parent, that kind of thing. Yeah. But I'd imagine you've heard those stories. I, I, I have, I suppose, in fairness, I've, I've been very lucky that my parents were very progressive. And as soon as I finished in I college, we went straight into a family farm partnership. So that gave me a certain amount of autonomy and a certain amount of respect going both ways um, between myself and the parents and the parents and myself, um, but also responsibility. And I think, you know, I, I would like to encourage as many people as possible to go into those kind of partnership arrangements because a lot of parents don't realize or can see the potential of what their, their sons or daughters can do on the farm. And if they had the responsibility, you know, the parents then are a lot uh, happier um, and you'll feel more confident that they can start you know, letting the reins go a small bit, giving that young farmer the, the responsibility of actually running the farm 
going forward. So ultimately, uh, I suppose the trigger to transferring the family farm here in Ireland is a 35 age um, with, with, with tax reliefs and that. So I suppose we started a process last year officially, whereas unofficially, you know, it's been two or three years we've been working on it, you know, with the solicitor and that. Um, but it does take time to actually officially transfer the farm between the legal side, the bank side, the Department of Ag side, the whole lot. Um, but as I said, yeah, initially, you know, we were very open here uh, that respect worked both ways, mm -hmm. responsibility worked both ways. Um, I was very lucky to be elected Mocker president back in 2011. And at the same time, when I was just elected Mocker president, my brother George finished his degree in Ag in, uh, in Abbotsmith in Wales. So literally, I stepped out of the farm for two years and he came in my place. So uh, he didn't know what he wanted to do properly at the time. Um, but after one year here in the farm, he wanted to be you know, part of the farm. So then we brought him into the partnership. So now there's essentially three farm families pulling off of the one farm. So we had to obviously decide what we would do financially for the farm. So that was again to increase our numbers, dairy numbers, reduce some of the tillage area, eliminate the beef completely. Um, and that's where we are today now. So it's a real process, but I mean, let, let's put it this way. You sound like one big happy family as well. I mean, I'd imagine there's other people though with the reluctant parent, you know, or with, yeah. with, with the, the younger farmer who's suddenly not so young anymore because he or she yeah. has been waiting for a long I've, time. I look, I've met young farmers all over the country and, um, you know, there's some very sad cases out there. You know, I've some, some cases, I know one young farmer in particular, uh, he's 34 years of age. His father is in his early 60s, but his grandfather is in the late 80s. And the grandfather is still owns the farm. The grandfather is in a nursing home at the moment. And the young farmer and his father, when they need money to pay some bill on the farm, must go to the grandfather in the nursing home to get a check. You know, those kind of stories are, are, are horrendous. You know, I know many other cases where the farm wasn't transferred from, we say, the grandparents' generation to the, you know, the, the parents' generation. And, you know, they're 55, 65, that kind of age group. They want to hold on to the farm themselves and do something in their own name. And then it delays the process again of going to the next generation. So the chances are of that young farmer, he or she could be in their 40s or 50s or even 60s again before they get their hands on it. Um, and it, it, it's very hard then for you know, young farmers to actually have make a real go of it. Next up, I spoke with solicitor Karen Walsh, a regular contributor to the Irish Examiner's farming pages. She began by telling me about the main issues involved in farm succession planning. The first thing to do is make sure you have a will made because what happens is sometimes there's a tragedy, someone unexpectedly dies, the son is at home farming thinking he's going to get the farm, didn't, didn't go to college and um, the father passes away unexpectedly or the mother and there's no will in place and the estate is divided equally between um, all the children if there's no spouse or it's divided according to um, intestacy law. So it, it's very important while you're deciding to put even the most basic will in place just to protect the next of kin. Um, but I suppose the, the days of the, the farm going to the eldest son now are long gone. That was going to be my next question because yeah. you said the, the big thing is to make the decision. Yes. There would have been no decision to make 30 or 40 or 50 years ago. Yeah. Now obviously there is. It was automatically going to the eldest son and the eldest son then maybe had to provide for the other children or the daughters. But now it's now the preference obviously is who's interested in farming, who's interested in taking it over. And at least then there's a clear successor, which makes the process a little easier. Um, but if there's no clear successor, then parents are 
they really don't uh, know what to do. Do they divide it equally between all the children? Some children will be abroad, some will have no interest in the land. And then it's, it's tax inefficient as well. The more, if you divide land between maybe five children, they're not all gonna, you know, there's difficulty there for qualifying for agricultural relief. A child can only get 310,000 from parent tax free. Whereas if they give it to one child, or if it's a very large farm, two children, then they may be able to claim agriculturally and they take it tax free. So that's the other thing, but... Isn't the argument as well, though, that from an agricultural point of view, in an era when farm holdings are, on average, increasing, mm -hmm. if you start splintering things up into smaller and smaller fragments, either or all of the people who get a chunk are probably not going to be able to keep it going sustainably either. Well, the more, the more people you give land to, if there's four or five people on a chunk of land, the higher the probability of disputes arising about what to do with the land, and that leads to a, a ultimately being put up for sale and divided between every the value of a sale. So, so the, if you give land to one person, it's more likely going to stay in the family from generation to generation. And parents don't want that. They don't want the land being sold. But um, They want a kind of a level of certainty, which I guess anybody would want mm -hmm. if they inherited it themselves. They want to continue a legacy. Is it more likely that some farmers of an older generation are just going to have to accept that the conventional passing on of the farm is probably less likely than it might have been in decades previous to this? Well, to, to earn a really, really good living, farm, farms need to get bigger and bigger, economies of scale, um, and people are going into farm partnerships and expanding that way. But I mean, in, in small farms, yes, sons or daughters are supplementing it off income from off work off the farm. Um, like all of the reliefs now for let's say agricultural relief, young trained farm relief, like well the young trained farm relief you have to farm, but the agricultural relief you the, to, 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 if you pass the asset test for it, you you have to pass another test called the active farm test. You either have to farm it for fifty percent of your working time, or you have to lease it to someone who will farm it. So all the reliefs are generally going to if you're not going to farm it, then lease it to someone who will farm it. Yeah. There's a, there's a good bit of planning and time involved, so not to leave it to the last minute because the stamp duty then, they're after 35, whether they, even if they have their green search and they're going to farm it 50% of the time, if it's gone over the 35 year birthday, they're paying the they're paying the 1% stamp duty at the moment, which will, which, um, which is, you know, significant if you have a farm worth a million, that's 1% stamp duty, or if the farm is worth a lot more, then the stamp, and, and that's something that can be avoided if it's just thought about you know, a year or two in advance of the 35th birthday. Communication is essential really, you know. Like, I find a lot of the time as well is that there's no, everyone is assuming there's a will in place, no one really wants to talk about it, um, and it's only then when they're coming up to a tax deadline or a 35th birthday, then sometimes they can be a big mad scramble to get, get it over the line, and, and it's not really something that should be rushed into. Finally, I spoke with Austin Finn of the Land Mobility Service and how it might just be an option for some farmers and for those hoping to work the land. 2014 to 16 was the pilot, three-year pilot, and now we're going fully nationwide. So 17 was the first year we went fully nationwide. As part of that then, instead of it being just me, we have an admin function in the farm centre we have one person now based in the west, and at the moment we're trying to recruit for another person up sort of northwest, yeah, and another person down your part of the southwest. So just just tell us briefly, 
how does it actually work? I mean, imagine now that I'm a kind of a younger generation farmer and I'm kind of looking at my options going forward. What's the kind of the typical client base that would be coming to you? Right, so at any particular point in time, we'll be dealing with, at the moment we're dealing with somewhere between 150 and 200 sort of active clients. And roughly the breakdown of them, and it has been from day one, it's about 45% of landowners or landowner families looking to step back in one form or another. And then on the other side you have, and it's roughly half an hour, you have existing operators. You know, it could be a tillage man, could be a beef man, could be a dairy man, looking to either expand their current base or take on a second unit. And then the other side you have the farm managers, the farmer's son, who there's just not big enough at home, or the father is still early 50s, three more kids to go through college there's no you know maybe yeah. loads of work at home but there's no money mm-hmm. so so that's the other so that's the so you have the farm manager the farmer son or daughter who wants to go farming himself or someone who has gone and done the Clonakilty course or the Kildalton course or whatever and it's not from a farming background might have had you know had some farming experience obviously when they were younger from an uncle or something like that but wants to go farming so it's marrying really the people with the resource yeah. on the one hand and the people who want to work yeah. the resource on the other. So we don't advertise as such. You know, the likes of this and, you know, tagish and all that, we get an awful lot of referrals and, you know, we've been, like the farm examiner have done a few things and mentioned this a few times. So people will ring us and ring me and usually say if it's if the family, I will go out and I'll sit down with them and just go through the options. You know, and how is it different or, let's say, better or more advantageous than somebody going along and leasing land from somebody, for example? Yeah, well, leasing could be one of the options to take. Now, so where we're different from the sort of the normal market, and there's still a place for the normal market and there will always be a place for the normal market, but if someone goes to the normal market with the usually invariably contact their local auctioneer, he advertises it, and the, the auctioneer's agenda is, because he's on a commission, best possible price. And I'm not saying to hell with the consequences, but the consequences sure. are not really, you know, he wants to get, get it over the line. For some families, you know, that's perfect. For others, it's so important for them that the integrity of the farm is maintained, that the farm is properly looked after, the right person is in, that the whole thing is sustainable. Like, they will be aware, oh, just so-and-so got 400 an acre down the road, but, you know, jeez, I never made 400 an acre, so how is that person able to pay that? And, so, and I said, yeah, because it, it doesn't work. It won't stack up. Mm-hmm. Someone will run into trouble somewhere down yeah. the line. Yeah. So it's all about sustainability, mm-hmm. you know. And some people, some families, will want to go with that established operator because they, this lad has done it before, he knows what he's at. He's plenty of staff, he's plenty of cows we see what he's doing and he's a good operator and he's financially strong what did I say there's a young lad there jeez he looks a great lad we'll try and get, help him and give him an opportunity and they will nearly bend over backwards they might include cows as part of the deal to try and make it work mm. now at the same time the young person has to be able to deliver so do you kind of go through everything line by line is it itemised so that nobody's there at the end of the month or the end of the year kind of going wait a minute I thought I was getting X, Y, or Z, or whatever. Yeah, we would. That's, that would be part of the process. So the, the actual facilitation process can be quite tedious and quite long because you have to go through that. Everyone is fully aware of how this will work, 
who's responsible for what and who gets what. That's it. Keep an eye out for our special Irish Examiner supplement on this issue and on the Farm Examiner, as well as related video and content on irishexaminer.ie. Feel free to send any comments to farming at examiner.ie. Thanks to Griffith College and in particular Shamim Malik Mian for their help and assistance in putting this together. We'll be back with more later in the summer. And until then, happy farming. Irish Examiner Farming Podcast with FBD Insurance. Farm insurance tailored to you. Visit fbd.ie today.